This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 78 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Saturday, April 10th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome guest host Lord Cognito of the Iron Lords podcast on to discuss the return of E3 in 2021, the comparisons of Xbox and Sony in 2021, and discussions on Outriders. In the back half of the show, we'll welcome Scott Brody of Heart Shaped Games to discuss his upcoming ID at Xbox title, We Are the Caretakers. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to the guest co-host on the show, Lord Cognito of the Iron Lords podcast, the man with the best intros if you have ever heard them. <laughs> What's up, Cog? Yo, Lord Ghost, Inseppet Ghost, I'm in the realm of Xbox Expansion Pass. I am very honored to be here. I love what you're doing, man. It, this is this is a good day, man. I've made it. I've made it to the Expansion Pass. I'm a happy man. I'm, I'm ecstatic to have you. You and I talked about coming on the show a while back, but I had to figure yes. out ways to get other content creators on the show, uh, and it still kind of stick to the XEP vision, and so this is perfect. I'm so excited to be working with you. Your slate, my friend, has been busy of late. I mean, I'm checking out the cog. When's cog available? What are we going to do? This man's on Unlocked. He's popping up on multiple shows on his own front. Uh, I'm sure XEP listeners are aware of you, my friend, but give a quick rundown of where they should be looking to find you as it is. No doubt, man. You're at Lord Cognito on Twitter. Iron Lords podcast on YouTube. That's where we we pretty much rock in the realm. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day, generally 1 p.m. Eastern, unless it's football season and it's 11 a.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, man, we've been doing it for a while, man. And just like I said, celebrating, you know, people in the industry, whether it's content creators or, or, or developers or personalities. And, and you know, you've been in the realm. You've been, I love the work you've done, you've done, and it's always good to have you in. And um, yeah, man, just trying to keep it positive. And just I think the thing that the focus we like to do. Is, is really celebrate these kind of unsung heroes that make us love gaming and just create that platform where everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter. Obviously, we have our preferences with Xbox and stuff, but we do. We talk about PlayStation topics, Sony, I mean, Nintendo topics as well. So, yeah, man, I've been doing it for a while. It's just it's cool to see the, the growth a little bit. And then also I do, uh, for, for my looter shooter fans, we do a destiny slash now outriders podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> it's called the it's called the last word that's with my co-host ebontis man and ebontis good people we've been 
playing these looter shooter games, very knowledgeable guy. And that's usually on Fridays. And uh, again, everything on the Iron Law podcast. And the last thing is the website. So uh, lordsofgaming.net, pretty much by the fans, for the fans kind of thing. And um, yeah, we try to keep it professional, opinion pieces and things like that. You can find up on their great team. And I'm um, very proud of that. So lordsofgaming.net is also part of the Iron Law podcast movement. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on, man. Of course, I met your Iron Lords co-host, King, when we were at E3 2019 yes. playing Battletoads. I still have that business card to this day nice. sitting over there on my shelf, which is a pleasure to go over there and look at. Uh, I'm glad you're on, man, because later on in this episode, we're going to be talking about, about Outriders offering a review. Ooh. I held off mm. on giving that review to give those servers, servers uh, time to stabilize, as it were. Yes. Man, oh, man. Uh, yes. They've had it. They've had it. But... Uh, Let's start off with, I think, one of the bigger topics of this past week. E3 2021 is a go as an online-only event. It, the uh, ESA confirmed that the show is going to run from the 12th of June through the 15th of June. And this was contrary to several rumors that have been popping up uh, over the past few weeks. So I'm glad to see we've got some clarification. There is indeed uh, no paywall of any kind. And they're going to have quite a few people showing up. And I say people, quite a few companies, including Xbox, Nintendo, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two, and Warner Brothers, along with Deep Silver. Uh, Cog, this is a big deal for a lot of reasons, because it's E3 and we talk gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but first impressions on hearing this. This was a positive, man. A pleasant surprise. You know, for me, you know, and, and you obviously, you know, you met King at E3. Mm-hmm. You know, E3 holds a very special place for me. And, um, you know, as a gamer, it's one of those situations, like, as you're a kid, you know, you say, hey, man, I would love the opportunity to go to this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, it was pretty much, you know, developer and media kind of only, and the fans weren't allowed to go. I had my first opportunity in 2015 through FanFest. I I heard out about FanFest, and, you know, a lot of people said this is a way that you can possibly, you know, get to go. And to be honest, it was more of an Xbox-related thing for me as opposed to, just having the idea to think I would be able to go to a press conference or anything like that. So as I got there, it was just a magical experience. And, you know, met so many people. And then, you know, obviously met uh, Xbox Brass. But I met Phil Spencer. He was literally one year. Like, he was, like, a couple of months into the job. You know, I think he was maybe 2014 is when he became the head of Xbox. And it was 2015. So he was fairly new. And uh, when we get into the MLB section, <laughs> I have a story there, too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, look, at the end of the day, um, E3 is special. It, it, it's, it's the biggest moment. It was always... You know, for me, the press conferences, the surprises on what the companies were doing. And when I hear this news, a nostalgic part part did hit me. And I'm happy it's back. The key for me is obviously we know it's going to be digitally only because of the pandemic. Thankfully, there's no paywall. So that's great. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think for me just to see that they'll be there and the mention of conferences is kind of cool and hopefully they they do enough to kind of rebuild themselves because as we know you know in the pandemic when they were not there last year other companies have you know gone about doing presentations themselves and and holding their own events and and while that's cool and i respect that financially it's probably more beneficial to them i always been a fan of the consolidation of the event and Mm -hmm. just getting a streamlined feel of stuff as opposed to just random mini events coming through so this is positive news for me selfishly as a gamer i'm all for it i want you know e3 to succeed and hopefully come back in a physical form as a prelude you know 
for for the next year. So um, I'm I'm for it, man. What, what, what you what you what about this, Ghost? What you think? Very mixed on this one because all the things you're saying make a lot of sense. I think E3 is important to the industry in a lot of ways. That said, I think there are other shows that uh, are can do what E3 does better in terms of mm. uh, reaching out and and talking to fans and that kind of thing. I think it needs to become more of a fan show, perhaps similar to a PAX or whatnot. Um, my mm. fondest memories of 2019 are of FanFest, not of actually E3 proper. Um, now, last year, what I liked and did not like, and I, I would, I would, I'm leaning more towards uh, did not like, is okay. how stretched out the news for gaming was across several Ugh. months. And Preach. not being sure, you know, when is, is this a bomb that's going to be dropped or is this going to be a very casual, relaxed inside Xbox state of play or, or, or whatever Correct. it's going to be. And mm -hmm. the not knowing of 2020 and every aspect, social, political, gaming, otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, was really <laughs> hard to do. And so knocking, ticking those things away in 2021 is important to me. I like that we're going to have a consolidated event here. Uh, we know that Jeff Keighley is going to do his summer game fest uh, in partnership with a number of developers. And I would imagine that he's going to be talking with PlayStation. They have a very good working relationship and PlayStation's not working with ESA for E3. My mm -hmm. hope, though, is that we get some info uh, and these events are isolated and expectations um, appropriately set. Something that I think all companies are learning in the past year or so. So that we're not stretched out across, you know, three, four months of, you know, is Jeff yeah. Grubb talking about the small game or the big bomb that's going to be dropped across three months time? Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I hear what you're saying as far as that. And uh, obviously we know Sony's, you know, non-involvement mm -hmm. <laughs> and EA, you know, that's another one that's, that's not going to be involved. I, I hear you, man. You're making valid points. I mean, it's definitely, you know, from a consolidation standpoint and from... I guess from the physical standpoint, I do understand when E3 existed in its physical form, I do understand what you mean in the sense that, you know, I my my joy was never the days of three E3 post press conference. Mm, <laughs> so I, I know what I know what you mean there, right? For me, it's always press conference, like Phil getting on stage, mm -hmm. right? You know, when Sony used to be involved, you know, whether it be, you know, Yoshida, Layden, whoever, like them being on stage and just, just the the theatrics of it. It was always great theater, the trailers, you get the great voices, Xbox exclusive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you get, you, get, you get all those cool things when you're in the building. So I think for, for me, it's more of the nostalgic Super Bowl of gaming feel that I miss, mm -hmm. but um, obviously you know pandemic we got that they weren't there. You know I think one year without E three showed me like that it was just a little too spastic, it was a little bit too stretched, like you said. Mm -hmm. And hopefully now that it comes back, you know that will be consolidated. They will still have a little bit of the fanfare. And then, obviously, like you said, with Sony and Jeff Keighley, most likely they'd be doing something. So if we get that, I'll be okay, because it's still a consolidation in a sense. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be looking at so many different outlets, so to speak. But they've got a lot to prove. You know, they lost a lot of faith. You know, they, they also, um, lost, besides losing faith, they lost people's data. <laughs> yeah. So They got yeah, a lot of people that, doxed on that, a lot, a lot of good, uh, lost a lot of goodwill there. They, yes. So they lost they lost a lot of that, a lot of trust, and um, it's up to them to, to build that back. I mean, that is a huge deal, and I don't know necessarily they made that right with the media. Like, as far as a true mea culpa, 
what happened and stuff like that. So they've got a lot to prove to get goodwill back, and that's going to be the uphill battle, especially with still some people you know, not participating, like Sony, EA, and et cetera. I'm also curious about the level of participation that we're going to see uh, from each of these. I mean, is Nintendo going to be bringing Metroid Prime 4, uh, if that's right. even real? Uh, or, or are they going to be bringing us like a Kirby screenshot kind of thing? Being there is very different than uh, having a major presence, as it were. And Xbox, of course, Phil Spencer's on the ESA board, I believe that's yes. cor- correct. I um, believe so. And with, with Xbox having their own show, Bethesda in years past having their own show, certainly they can bring the big guns if they want to. Uh, you have to wonder if they're going to go all in on the ESA's E3 2021 uh, or if they're going to save some things for Summer Game Fest with Jeff Keighley or their own separate inside Xbox or what have you. What is Warner Brothers going to do? Is, is, are we going to see the next Suicide Squad trailer? Are we going to see uh, Gotham Knights? What are we seeing from Konami? There's a lot of how much, how deep in are we going with these shows? Uh, if you're placed, not pardon me, if you are Xbox right now, knowing that PlayStation's not officially there, do you bring all the big guns to E3 2021, or do you save some for Keeley's uh, Game Fest? It's a great question. This is a great question because Xbox in particular, because obviously with the with the uh, Zenimax slash Bethesda acquisition. You know, they now are in a position to possibly have two shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know how much Bethesda has to show when they had the uh, round table. Both errands were already in discussion, <laughs> you know, about how they were going to, you know, roll out marketing and stuff. The fact that uh, Phil retweeted it as far as the ESA's announcement and their involvement denotes to me, I'm just inferring, you know, mm-hmm. denotes to me that they do plan to have a presence. And, you know, with Sony not being there and the momentum that Xbox has right now, I think it's imperative on them to show out, to, to really take it seriously, to really, you know, have some blockbuster. It, it's beneficial to them for the generation, and it's beneficial to the ESA to make sure the platform really has that star power and people show off, you know, games that, that are really highly anticipated. But to your point, Ghost, I think you're making it like the question is going to be the other, like the Take Twos, the Ubisofts, the Konami's. Like, are they going to prep an E3 like demo or mm-hmm. you know presentation? Are they really going to go out? That that's going to be the key. How much, how much involvement do they have? And that's the curiousness because if they don't take it seriously and it kind of falls flat or it's a lackluster event then this is going to, again, be another black eye and, and a shade on something that, you know, that was kind of beloved. And, and, and maybe people say, hey, you know, this is proof that we don't need it again. <laughs> you know, There's a lot to prove here. I'm very curious how things play out. I will say that. Gamers have a habit of, you know, us versus them, this group versus that group. This was better than yeah. that. Uh, very rarely appreciating all the goodness that we are afforded. Uh, I'm curious to, to see the reaction of E3, you know, the post-E3, like looking back on it, and then the Game Fest comparisons. Uh, will people prefer one versus the other? Will they be comparable? I mean, we don't know what Keeley's planning truly uh, for this year and how he plans to consolidate some of that news and streamline some of those events. Because uh, real talk, I thought he did a great job with what he had, but I also saw yes. a lot of places to be improved, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. I mean, goodness gracious, when you're having a pandemic and, and all that, everybody gets a pass. Everybody yes. gets a pass in 2020. Correct. 2021, Correct. not the same case. There you go, brother. I'm with you. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see how involved we are there. Whatever it is, you have to imagine that Xbox uh, – 
is capable of bringing some major announcements. They need to sell people on the future as they're getting more physical units out there through the, hol the holiday. You have to imagine Halo Infinite's gonna be on display, but frankly, I don't Ooh. think that, as much as I love Halo uh, in general, I don't think that's moving the needle anymore. I think damage was yeah. done, and now it's a matter of, all right, the game's gotta be good. Nothing you show me or don't show me is gonna sell or not sell me uh, at right. this point. Uh, in the game, but mm -hmm. you know, Everwild needs to show up. Hellblade Two, we need oh, to yeah. see. We need to see those studios talk to me about 2022, 2023. Yes. What am I getting Preach. in the future? Yes. Yeah. Any anything that you're hoping they bring to the table? Um. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to get you know some advancement, obviously, on Halo Infinite's uh, development. Obviously, we've heard the rumors of potential. You know, Starfield. Who knows how much. COVID has played a factor on, uh, COVID's been a, a factor on a lot of these studios' development, mm -hmm. but it's going to be curious to see, you know, because one thing about Bethesda we kind of know is that usually when they show, they're ready to go, you know. So the question will be, will Starfield be shown, and is it a 2021 release? Um, I am curious about, obviously, the other third parties. As far as Xbox, I've got my eye on Compulsion. I, uh, I want to know if, um, because, you know, the rumors of, of their what type of titles seem to have been uh, released as far as a third person, you know, cinematic adventure kind of deal. So I'm mm -hmm. curious about that. And um, so Xbox Game Studios, like you said, you know, a year, two years out, what else is cooking? You know, you said every while, you said a lot of the games, you know, that, that uh, I'm also interested in. But yeah, and then obviously third party, you know, we got to see what, what's also coming out. Obviously Warner Brothers is there, Koch Media, Ubisoft, there's been rumors there about potential Ubisoft and, and Microsoft being very cozy, you know, as far as Game Pass, you know, do they splash that kind of a deal and say, hey, coming at such and such a day, kind of like in an EA kind of, you know, fashion where there's this integration with Game Pass Ultimate, you know, Capcom's another big one. So I, I'm excited, man. I, I, I want to know if they treat it with, the, even though it's digital, if they treat it with the same seriousness and fanfare that we normally would get with an E3. And if we get that roadmap for some of the companies of like hey this is something they're working on in the future right fully agree with you fully agree with you and i'm going to use that game pass mention to segue into uh, a topic that i have struggled to title so i just called it playstation vibes because playstation has been in the news a lot this past week for i think good and bad reasons you know playstation's gotten a lot right they've gotten a lot wrong uh, and this show is centered around how the gaming verse is impacting Xbox. In this case, I think Xbox may be impacting the reception to PlayStation right now uh, for a mm. lot of reasons. We know that MLB The Show uh, is day and date into game, into game Pass. That was a big blow, I think, to a lot of the mindshare for PlayStation fans, whether it's a, a fair comparison or not. Certainly, it was one that's being factored in. There have been a lot of Game Pass comparisons. You know, is PlayStation going to respond? There was an article uh, put out that cited uh, David Jaffe as, as mentioning something uh, about Sony's response coming down the line. Of course, the Outriders going into day, day and date in the Game Pass mm. as well. Uh, and then it wasn't an intentional response, at least. I can't imagine that Sony meant to do this. Uh, as a response to Outriders being successful and MLB being successful. But Avengers and Borderlands 3 both entered into PlayStation Now, which is our closest comparison to an Xbox Game Pass. And instead of celebrating that, two games that, that have their own audiences to, to varying levels of success and failure, but instead of being able to celebrate that, the stories were all about how it was just the PlayStation 4 versions, which by default highlighted smart delivery 
-hmm. that is that is a lot that is a lot of strange things to take into uh, effect as it were how do we as as objective gamers as fans of xbox as fans of playstation in general process this kind of stuff this, this is good, man. I mean, this is a lot of information in a short period of time. And, and as a person, obviously, we're multi-platform owners here. Obviously, we have a preference for Xbox. But, you know, to me, I always look at these type of situations as you know, competition is good. Competition is always good for gaming. And what I'm realizing the way this generation is starting off is that, you know, I almost want to use a sports analogy in the sense that you can have a great team with a great legacy. And that that's how I look at PlayStation in some respects, right? Mm -hmm. But... If there's a new general manager, right, and let's just use, you know, symbolize Jim Ryan as this for a second, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you have the horses that it's going to automatically translate to success or that things are going to run exactly the same, especially when, as we see, the competitor being Xbox has now geared up. They've geared up in a lot of different ways from a from a hardware standpoint, from Game Pass as a service and how aggressively they're pushing Game Pass to all these different little things you're starting to see add up, like smart delivery. A lot of people at the time thought it was just a buzzword. You know, it thought it was just something that, oh, you know, it, it, you know, it, you, of, course, of course you're supposed to play your, your old stuff or the new stuff. And we're finding out with things like, you know, um, not even just Avengers. I believe it was a couple other people just were having issues with just transferring stuff over to the cloud and things of that nature on their next generation versions. And, um, you know, back to the MLB thing, it's the MLB thing is huge. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a, a, a big blow. And, and, and why it's a big blow is because that, first of all, it's the definitive baseball experience. I played that game, you know, Sov and I, shout out to Lord Sov, we're baseball guys. Uh, we are simulation-style baseball guys. Mm -hmm. There are other baseball games like RBI or whatever, but those are the arcade feel. This is a game that gives you the true feeling of baseball, tendencies, fatigue, pitch counts. There's, a, there's It's tremendous accessibility. It's an amazing game. Like, Xbox use gamers. Like, I'm telling you right now, like, this game is the definitive baseball game. How much so is that... Back to my E3 story in 2015 when I met Phil Spencer. This is my first time getting a chance to meet Xbox Brass, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's and they, they they basically told us, hey, you know, what any, any question you want us to, you know, as far as helping Xbox. Mm -hmm. So selfish cognito, instead of these, you know, grandiose questions everyone else asking about the brand, I'm like, how come Xbox doesn't have a MLB licensed baseball game? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my first question to Phil Spencer, literally. And and he looked at me, and he was just like, he, he had Greeny with him. Shout out to Aaron Greenberg. And Green, Greeny looked over. He's like, kind of like, yeah, why don't we? And then Greeny was kind of response was like kind of illegal, marketing, licensing, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of deal. And he said, okay, respectfully, you know, he said, look, we, you know, I definitely hear, you, hear where you're coming from. I hear you. I agree. And we got to look into it. And I respect it. At least, you know, he gave me an honest answer that it was something that was a flaw at the time. And from my understanding, it was more of a licensing thing that an Xbox first party studio would have to be able to acquire it. And at that time, they just weren't in position. But back and to where this is. Well, let, me, let me jump in for one second. Yes, and say, please, please. Very noted that there would be no reason for MLB to even look at Xbox in a 2015 environment. It took Preach. Game Pass. It took the Xbox One S and X, and then the Series One, uh, uh, Series S and X, and then you had mm -hmm. to have X Cloud, and you had to have 18 million plus subscribers. I mean, you had to Preach. have a lot of things.
things fall into place before an entity like Major League Baseball would think, you know what, this system with 100 million units uh, sold, uh, we're going to stick just with them. Now it's a matter mm-hmm. of, okay, we've got more money to be made. Um, but, Cog, mm-hmm. I will point out that you could have you gotten Killer Instinct 2 made. You could have gotten Street Fighter here on the Xbox platform. Mm-hmm. You went with Major League Baseball, and, and next time you talk to Phil, uh, let him <laughs> know Luke Lohr would like to play some Street Fighter on Xbox. I respect that. Like, like I said, if I get the opportunity again, the fighting game will be next. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm with you with that. And, yeah, I mean, just to, like I said, to finish up with, with MLB, it, it, it's a tremendous move. First of all, for the optics, it just looks bad on the Sony stock. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's a $70 game that your competitor that you develop from you know, Sony San Diego, that your competitor now has free into their service day and date and where this really starts to get tricky for them is that the last generation warfare was fought in my opinion where playstation was extremely aggressive with timed exclusives Mm -hmm. and now you have so i mean you have xbox now using game pass leveraging game pass from a third party day and date which was the only real weakness to the service we knew the value we knew the first party so you have things like outriders Mm -hmm. you know new I, AAA IP, looter shooter built for the service. You have, you know, um, Octoplath Traveler, you know, not day and date, but only on Switch platforms and now Xbox and PC. So it, it, you start to get this diversity that just looks attractive. And yes, I know we mentioned the, um, you know, the PlayStation now as far as getting Avengers, you know, and Borderlands, and those are great games. I'm not, I'm not gonna minimize that. But then you start to see the warts with, okay, you know, those are PlayStation 4 versions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what about smart delivery? And it, 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 what happens is this series of little things start to add up. And at the end of the day, the casual gamer value is going to have a big, a big point of contention for this generation. Mm-hmm. And th- it's up to Sony to prove that their games are high quality, to stay in this ecosystem, to not go over to the Xbox ecosystem. And then besides that, I don't know if they can effectively counter Game Pass. You know, they may just have to use PlayStation Plus and make, you know, make that a little bit more aggressive with better deals. And and it's been good. It's Mm -hmm. been good. But I will say, man, it is one of those situations where I look at at the tea leaves and you have to admit, as a gamer objectively, Mm -hmm. right, the last couple of weeks, months, for Sony just has not looked good in the optics. It's not the same Sony that we're used to with uh, 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 just responding or sometimes even being petty. Like sometimes we see Sony do petty moves where you're like, oh yeah, that was, that was a little petty, but we get it. We mm-hmm. get it. You're locking down that exclusive and stuff like that. You know, what is, whether it be Final Fantasy VII Remake and stuff like that. And the last point I'll make is just, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the Kojima thing, right? Mm-hmm. And if I could get into that now. <laughs> yeah, go for and, it. Um, okay, yeah. And it's just like, you know, again, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. You know, like it's like I'm this big Kojima guy. I, I'm not. I used to really love the, the Metal Gear and stuff like that. But I do respect that he has a huge community, a huge following. His games are very unique. He jumps outside the box. Again, the optics. Kojima was always synonymous with the PlayStation brand, mm-hmm. right? So now you hear, shout out to our guy Jeff Grubb, right? Mm-hmm. You hear these rumors of an Xbox exclusive published 
you know, Kojima game, right? And again, it, it just starts to snowball all these little things. And then, yeah, man, I just don't know how long term, if they don't change their thinking and as opposed to just waiting back and say, hey, we have two or three great exclusives a year, they are in danger of being overwhelmed by sheer volume. Mm-hmm. And that's my concern. Like, if they don't, if they don't take Xbox seriously... I have to quote my brother. I'm never going to say King like King would say it's over, but it could get ugly fast. And and that's my concern with this generation from a competitive standpoint. How do they respond? It's early. I'm not saying doom and gloom, but how do they respond to this is going to be the question. And, And it's a big thing. When you are the best of the best, everybody loves you, but everybody else is gunning for you. And we love redemption stories as uh, people who enjoy entertainment. You know, we love heroic comebacks. Uh, And a lot of people will pay money. They watch championship fights to see great fights. But a lot of people go to watch the champion fall and a new person rise. And it feels like um, right Mm -hmm. now that PlayStation's in danger of, of being at a tipping point because they're having a lot of little things chip away at their ego. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but chip away no, at the mind share right. and the casual mm-hmm. fan that only buys. I mean, if somebody came up to me two years ago and said, Luke, which system should I buy? I'll be like, mm, you need a PlayStation God of War and Spider-Man and, and ghosts are coming at ghosts coming out. It's just that good. But Game Pass right. is pretty great, too. And I would put that caveat on now if they're coming up to me, I'm thinking it's Xbox because of the sheer value. And that yes. mind share of the hardcore, the people that make podcasts, people that listen to podcasts, et cetera, that bleeds mm-hmm. out into the casual fan over time. And Preach. long gone are the days where, and I'm playing through Rise of the Tomb Raider right now and somehow mm-hmm. connecting that here, but that timed exclusive on Xbox felt dirty. It felt dirty yeah, at the bro. time. It felt it like was, you was getting away with something. <laughs> it was just weird, right? And and now, yes. and that's, that's PlayStation bread and, brud- bread and butter, um, as mm-hmm. it were, and... Now, like, I could see a world where, you know, if you altered the timeline a bit, it's not that they get it uh, early. It's instead it, well, Rise of Tomb Raider will go right into Game Pass. That's how it would feel. And that's a different mentality. And uh, as these things Mm -hmm. chip away at, you know, the giant that is Sony, who has made some Mm -hmm. of the best games ever. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. We forget about some of the, the studios they've closed and, and the articles that, that go out there about them sh- shutting things down and shifting things. Schreier came out with another Bloomberg article recently. Mm-hmm. and um, r- Trust that the Xbox social teams are watching that. They're talking up their Absolutely. Bethesda deal still. They're putting the loot in, in the background of with Phil Spencer, every interview possible. They're aware of Absolutely. these things, and they're trying to get into the mindshare of the casual market because the hardcore Preach. is looking for it. Preach. I mean, you literally said it. And, and I think that's what the listen, I, I, I know a lot of hardcore, you know, Sony guys after the, the Bloomberg slash Jason Schreier article came out about kind of unrest in a lot of the Sony studios based on the prioritization of blockbuster titles. Right. Mm-hmm. And you hear stories about Ben Studio not being allowed to make a day's going to and being forced into a support studio role for for Naughty Dog. And, you know, you, you start to hear this unrest. And generally, when you hear unrest and and, and Dad's kind of breaking NDA on, 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 on workplace agreements mm-hmm. is because they feel there's injustice. And if there's injustice, then we have to look into studio culture. And this is the thing they have to be very cognizant and careful. Xbox, it almost feels, I don't want to get too crazy, 
don't want to get too crazy. Oh, you though. get a tinfoil hat, but, okay. But it almost feels like a role reversal where last generation, Microsoft relied too heavily on the second party deals and I call it the Big Mac shake and fries. Halo, Gears, and Forza, mm-hmm. right? The big money stuff, we know they're great. And, and and we're gonna double down on that. Right? I mean, I love them, but I'm tired of hearing about them. I can't eat Big Mac every preach. day, you know. And, and Sony, at that time, was kind of well renowned for this great studio diversity and culturing and nurturing mentality, right? We culture our studios. Like, if a if a game doesn't knock it out the park necessarily, I mean, Uncharted didn't necessarily knock it out the park with its first one, but it got a sequel. And then, you know, you you see these types of stories where things develop and then become great, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas Microsoft last generation, sometimes there were a lot of one and done games where we're like, hey, where's our Rise 2? Where's, you know, Sunset 2? That kind of a deal. Quantum Break. Now, yeah, exactly, right? Quantum Break. So now you see Microsoft with this complete opposite you know, we, we, we interview the developers. They say, hey, Microsoft lets us have our creative freedom. They, they, they ask us to help. You see the team synergizing. All this stuff Sony used to do. Mm-hmm. And now with this Bloomberg report, you're hearing, oh, you know, the focus is going to be just, you know, Last of Us, God of War. I mean, go, don't get me wrong. These are amazing games, right? Mm-hmm. Amazing. We're not going to. But then when you hear about, oh, they're going to make a remake of a remake to Last of Us Part One, In, instead of developing and improving upon the pretty decent formula of Days Gone, that could have used some love. But can't exactly. you just imagine what that sequel would have looked like with all the lessons Ben learned? That's what I'm saying. And here's the scary part, Ghost. It's like it's not like Days Gone was a commercial flop. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. That's the scary part. Like again, some like cool I'm tech not in there too. It, Cool tech, horde mode mechanics, tons. I interviewed the devs at PAX, mm-hmm. maybe when it when it released about two years. It was amazing just to see conceptually what they had came up. That game deserves a sequel. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. You know? So to hear them get denied that and okay, now I heard that they they, they were worried about being absorbed into Naughty Dog and now they were they, they kind of complained and now they got let go from that responsibility as a, as a support studio and now they're back on working on a new P- IP thankfully but it just goes to show that there is unrest and and there are business people now running the show versus like maybe the Sean Layden era where he actually says hey we we like pride in these smaller games that develop into something in this diverse lineup so they've got to watch themselves because Xbox is not playing any games at Game Pass is one of the ultimate weapons that mm-hmm. they're using. It's growing, and here's the scary part. Last point: we're not even at the, Xbox. Game Pass is growing, and the first party still hasn't gotten here yet. That's the right. Fruits of, That's <laughs> the right. fruits of those those draft picks, so to speak, right? Those obsidians and all these studios haven't even really started cooking yet. When that happens. This is going to be a very competitive generation. And, and again, that's what Sony's going to have to... We're going to see how serious they, they take it, man. It, 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 the clock is on now. We, we got to see how they respond. You mentioned Sean Layden, and right now uh, a clip is circulating a lot of the social spaces of mm-hmm. him discussing you know, that PlayStation is about games, and that's what's most important. And that's not the vibe that you get from a Jim Ryan out there. That seems to be the constant you know, 
idea that's making uh, the social circles, the podcast circles, the content creators are all saying it. Um, and again, that tends to inform many different groups of people as well. What's interesting, though, as I, as I was hearing you talk, you talked about last generation, that role reversal. I would argue it happened midway through that generation when Layden departed, mm -hmm. when you saw Microsoft. Uh, they didn't get Rise 2, Sunset 2. They didn't get Quantum Break 2. Uh, mm -hmm. But right around the time that State of Decay 2 and Sea of Thieves came out, I mean, that was a rough yes. year, right? Rough year. Crackdown preach, 3 preach. went out um, to, to oh. whatever. I mean, I liked Crackdown 3, but like, it, mm -hmm. it's not what it was supposed to be. However... Yeah. That was when I saw the true shift. We saw some acquisitions start to happen. We saw Sea of Thieves mm -hmm. get support. It launched. Yes. It had its problems. Had some players. Lost some players. Now, 20 million plus, they Ooh. started cultivating that game. They didn't say, all right, you have to be a hit right now. They started mm -hmm. building these communities, building these teams, building the goodwill so that the internal teams, when they spoke to their friends, colleagues in the industry at GDCs and otherwise, they were saying this is a good place to work and that's making these acquisitions that are years in the making that much easier and to your point about game pass the first party hasn't hit we have 23 studios now i think we had 17 or so at some at one point 15 maybe yeah. um they were the ones that still could have been producing incredible content then you add bethesda into the mix and suddenly game pass is who everyone needs to be worried about not xbox per se preach but game pass and it's everywhere man i've been i was playing streets of rage 4 via oh. xcloud touch controls on my tablet and it Woo. worked cog it worked Brother. what's that so about good. who plays xbox so with touch controls luke lore does and he's having a ball <laughs> preach weird preach. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's real, man. It, again, it's a it's a great strategy, and we, and we didn't even mention the the you know the other part of the MLB, the Game Pass, and just for Game Pass in general, the, the cloud streaming aspect of it. I mean, I was at the doctor's office. I used XCloud. I was playing a lot of my games on my, on my Razer Kishi, mm -hmm. and it was it felt great. And then I even got better latency where it felt so one-to-one, -one, I actually used the Xbox app and remoted to my console, Ooh. played Destiny at 60 frames as opposed to the Xbox S version of 30 on, on uh, what you call it? XCloud. It, oh, yeah. brother, it felt phenomenal. It felt phenomenal. I played Yakuza Like a Dragon. Mm -hmm. All in, Again, you know, the, the long-term play of, of, of streaming, Game Pass, in these markets that traditionally would not buy an xbox console they phil's on it got a vision man he's really got a tremendous vision i'm really starting to see it take shape and it's going to be a fun gen because again with these weapons of game pass and streaming and, and, and a day and date games and third party exclusives and then first party eventually cooking it's going to be a fun generation i'm excited man i'm, I'm buckling up I'm, I'm ready to go man this, this gen is going to be fun Agreed. And, you know, Eric Jackson wrote in, of course, from the Brat Podcast and Gaming Perspective Woo! Podcast. Uh, awesome dude. He wrote in asking us uh, about this Sony equivalent to Game Pass. Is it going to be a carbon copy uh, or, or, or are there going to be some variations between them? Uh, would they remove day and date aspects to it? How would they make it? And when before you answer, consider what you just told me xcloud being involved the idea that you can remote to your system included with your ultimate subscription they're going to be changing out those xbox one s racks of servers into series uh x uh or s racks of servers like mm -hmm. there's a lot of elements of game pass it's not just the games day and date there's a lot of elements right. that kind of dance around with that service so 
if Sony needs to respond with something that's comparable, right. how do they do it? And I would also throw in PlayStation Plus is awesome. That instant yes. game collection is amazing. They put great games in there. I mean, they got a good month this month. I think Days Gone is in there, actually. Uh, Zombie yes. Army's in there, which is ironically ending up in Game Pass this month also. But there are good mm-hmm. games in PlayStation Plus regularly. In my mind, yes. that's the service they call today. But tell me your take. What do you think? No, I think you're, you're on fire with that. I think PlayStation Plus doesn't get enough credit because... What's happened is we no longer look at Xbox as a gaze with gold. We don't even take it any serious anymore because the quality has been so low, mm-hmm. and it's clear the focus is Game Pass. Right. But back to Sony, um, yeah, I think they really need to be aggressive with PlayStation Plus, but I, I don't want them to ignore PlayStation now because they pioneered the space with cloud streaming, so to speak, right, with the Gaikai deal and stuff like that. Now, the tech may not be comparable, but at least what they did was allow the download feature, right? Mm -hmm. So the key for me is still be aggressive on both fronts. I don't think they can match day and date because I don't think that's Sony's business model. I don't think structurally they're set up to take that kind of a financial, I would say financial hit, but kind of reality it probably is the financial hit. I think Microsoft just went more equipped for investment with short-term loss for long-term gain as far as uh, Game Pass. So um, I think PlayStation Plus is the focus. I think that other thing they have, um, I believe it's the call like the PlayStation Legacy Collection or something Instant like that. Instant Game Collection or something like that. That's what they used yeah. to be on the Vita. That, that was a great thing for the Vita. It seems to be great for P- PS5, PS Plus users. Right. Because I mean, when, when you log into your PS5, you have like Days Gone, a couple other cool games. I'm like, oh wow, this is great value. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to consistently attack it that way. I just don't see them with their current business structure saying, hey, you're going to get God of War day and day. <laughs> you know, you're going to get Ghost of Tsushima 2 day and day. I just don't see that. But if they could, could but, but what, I, matter of fact, I may take, I won't, I won't, I won't say to the, to that full extent, but they did show me a little sign with Destruction All-Stars. Okay, I got to comment on that. So you tell me your thought. Tell me your thought. I, I was surprised because I remember hearing about that game. I remember them definitely pushing it at one of the stated plays. I'm like, okay. And then it kind of magically appeared as a day and date kind of a game. So I'm like, okay, you know, that was interesting. And maybe, maybe with smaller titles, that might be, you know, maybe double A, maybe indie. Maybe they try that approach with, with those games and they still kind of preserve their first party, you know, because they, they really hold those in high regard and, and stuff like that. So I'm curious what your thought is with Destruction All Stars. I'm very, very curious about that. Well, it brings to mind just uh, a, a, a big difference between Xbox and PlayStation, and it's big because of, of other markets, but there's a cost difference between day one games, $60 and $70, and that is amplified when you go into different currencies in different parts of the world, right? Yes. Destruction All-Stars does, does not optically look like a $70 game, and it's a shame that we have to think of things that way, but money is a reality. It's just a reality that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Going day and date in there, I would into PlayStation Plus. I would venture to say that's an incredible move, and the developers I would hope are thrilled by that because it gets more people playing their game, and that's a proven model. The more people that play your game, uh, that engage with it, the more money you tend to make, and that's part of the Xbox mm-hmm. model. 
PlayStation, all the more this after this most recent Bloomberg article, is dedicated mm-hmm. to that high-tier 9s and 10s Metacritic AAA experience. It's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. for developers. It's got to be a little scary. But that's a justified yeah. $70 thing. I mean, I can't imagine a world where they put Ragnarok into PlayStation Plus right away. Yeah. I'm paying 70 bucks in a heartbeat. But Xbox... Mm-hmm. To the counterpoint, you know, they're putting Halo Infinite in there. Hellblade 2 is going to be in there. The next Prey, yep. the next uh, Starfield, what have you. Th- that's a big difference, and it has to do with the way they're trying to curate their games. It's also worth mm-hmm. noting that a lot of Xbox games, despite being $60, have methods or ways that you can uh, financially interact with bi- microtransactions or otherwise. Yes. I don't mean that in a dirty way. Like, I don't mean mm-hmm. that's a dirty thing. But, like, you can buy different packs and gears, get iron and gears. You yes. can buy that in, in Halo and so many other places. And those fans want that. The casual fan yes. may not, but cool. Casual fan, jump in. Let's make sure we got some people on the servers having fun. Luke Lore's mm-hmm. spending money on Sea of Thieves every few months on a plunder pass kind of thing. <laughs> but that's like 10, 12 bucks. I'm happy to do it because I paid nothing mm-hmm. for the game outside yep. of my subscription. So there's a, a systemic difference there. And I wonder if that $70. Uh, mm-hmm. doesn't play a factor into their having to consider a game to be in PlayStation Plus or not in a way that maybe Game Pass is different. Maybe. That's a, va- that's a valid point. I mean, and let's, let's be real. I mean, um, a lot of their games tend to follow that, you know, third-person, over-the-shoulder cinematic, really story-driven experience, right? Those game- games don't tend to cultivate a, mo- you know, a microtransaction kind of a ecosystem. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that also plays a factor, whereas, you know, with Game Pass, there's a diversity of, of, of games, you know, and there's certain things that really make sense for them. But maybe for Sony, that's another factor, like why give that away, so to speak. And, and last point, you know, with PlayStation Plus and that Legacy Collection, you know, and PlayStation Now, at times I've seen them kind of dip their toe, so to speak, where they'll give you God of War or something for a minute, and then like a month or two months later, it's removed <laughs> from from the service. So again, Sony historically has shown me they tend to, they don't tend to just dive headfirst into new trends. They kind of dip their toe, so to speak, see how the market receives it, and, and, and then, you know, adjust accordingly at their pace. You know, they still consider themselves the market leader. They still have some of the best, you know, AAA and first party studios. Where I'm never going to negate them there. But Again, like we talked about before, sheer volume with Game Pass, you know, the competition gearing up and cultivating with Microsoft. And let's be real, the war chest is long over there. You know, mm-hmm. Luke, is some big money over there mm-hmm. being thrown around. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you, know you, you, you have to try to adjust. Otherwise, you risk being overwhelmed. So to Eric's question, they have to do something. I just don't think day and date they might be willing to go there though when you're top of the mountain one misstep sends you tumbling down but if you're climbing there's a lot of ways to get up there so yes sir all right let's take a quick break come back we'll talk some outriders and take some listener questions hi this is jeremy gritton art director and story lead for ori and the will of the wisps and you're listening to the xbox expansion pass out Outriders, Cog. Outriders. I'm loving me some Outriders time. My boy Ainsley Bowden over at Season Gaming, he's not too thrilled with it. I'm not happy with him. He's just objectively (laughs) wrong. I'm loving it. He always is. Thank you. That's my guy, though. He put Joseph Moran on a show with him. That's just awful. Exactly. Um, 
but uh, I'm I'm loving my time with Outriders. I held off giving too many impressions last week because there were some server issues. Of course, uh, we know they are just they or they were just blowing away concurrent Steam numbers. And uh, my goodness, people are checking out this game in spades. It came out at the right time of year for people to yes. be, be looking forward to it. I think it looks great on my Xbox Series X and OLED TV. Uh, mind Woo! you, uh, no TCL game over here. No TCL, guys. No so TCL. Keg is pleased. I have upgraded <laughs> to the LG CX 65 Ooh, inch. Oh, we a CX user. Dude, okay. I, that's right. That's right. Um, yes. Let's go. Yeah, man. I don't have any. I'm, I'm missing a kidney, but I got that TV. So, uh, I'm I salute your sacrifice. Loving loving my time with outriders brother and i know that you as a destiny fan probably have a very yes. different type of appreciation for it because i'm not into the stat min maxing kind of thing i just want to look cool mm -hmm. and feel cool that's why i liked <laughs> avengers <laughs> not avengers excuse me that's why i liked anthem uh yes. <laughs> for the time i liked it right but it certainly did fall flat towards mm -hmm. the end but i'm digging mm -hmm. outriders what about you as the grinding destiny man talk to me yeah. about outriders yeah, man, Outriders, man. We had a good discussion. Uh, shout out to Ivantis and Last Word about it. Um, you know, he, he's been on the front line for it. And I, I had this skepticism at first. Let, let me see. Because, you know, one thing that I like that people can fly did initially was set proper expectation. They basically said, look, we're a looter shooter, but we're not live service. You know, mm -hmm. we, you're not going to be getting... Oh, you know, next month is going to be the DLC that's going to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not the, the mindset. And the vibe I got from them was almost like a Gears slash Diablo kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about it is I did not expect to have this much fun with it. As a, as a looter shooter fan, the thing that gets out to me first is the style of game it is the loot itself is the loot actually attractive does it make me want to play and then the difference between i think an outriders and a division in the space is is the fact that let me back up a second the reason why i'm such a destiny fan is because destiny has space magic you're fighting these creatures and whatever okay fine then you have this amazing end game right that's what makes destiny destiny now let's get to division division i like but there are some issues from the sense of you're playing a looter shooter and I'm shooting a guy with a hoodie 30 times. Sometimes, the, it, it, this, you know, the it sense of disbelieving. Right. Yes. Exactly, right? So this is where the magic and the mysticism part of Outriders really connects with me because at the end of the day, it's like you're this altar, you have powers, I have powers, they have powers. It keeps me in the realm of believability, mm -hmm. right? That what I'm doing feels good. Then they have good class structure you know they have the pyromancer the fire you know which kind of person they've got the the trickster with all this you know teleporting and cool things the devastator the tank and then my favorite class which is the technomancer which is like the support guy long range he can heal the team i can put out turrets and it's just this amazing synergy and and where the game really blew my mind and i have to admit destiny has a lot to learn from this game and what I mean from is one, UI and quality of life. There are so many things that are very 
well done and Destiny really needs to take advice from, for example, just organization. If I have a whole bunch of blues and stuff in my, my you know, inventory, I can click one button at the bottom, sort and delete all of them. You know, um, in the battlefield, I can set it up where if, you know, my teammates get loot, they open up chests, I'm nowhere near it. I press down on the D-pad, the loot comes to me based on what I set in the options. Again, quality of life, feel good stuff. And then with, this is where they Outriders takes it to the next level. The loot itself, all of it, synergizes with mods and specific builds according to your playstyle. Mm -hmm. So where it really outstands, like again, if I'm a guy that like toxic bullet rounds and I love that skill and I love my turret skill, I can get a piece of a, a pair of boots that'll drop and then it literally amplifies some aspect of that skill. Or, and if you love that skill, you could literally put your gloves, when you find a pair of gloves that have that, you could do that. Or if you get a bad mod that doesn't necessarily synergize, you can literally go to the guy in the town. And change take the it. Mod. Bro, it is so customizable and user-friendly. And this is, again, where Destiny needs to learn. Because it's PvE only, mm -hmm. they let you go crazy. Like, they don't care that you have these crazy builds. I mean, well, they did nerf a little bit, but <laughs> for the most part, the most they part, don't yeah. care. Yeah, they don't really care. They, like, knock yourself out. And the last point, I've never seen a game do this. I've been playing RPGs, skill tree games for the longest. Every game, Luke, I've always seen hey, if you're going to reset your skill tree, you're going to have to pay this currency or take this point away. Exactly. Outrider says, hey, you don't like that build? You don't like that you invested all these class points? You know what? Press the button, reset it, do what you want. <laughs> exactly. And that, okay, that is right where I'll jump in because as the guy who doesn't min-max, but I want to look cool and I want to be OP. That is what I want in video games. That's what yes. I strive for is to just be this awesome, Woo. unstoppable force. I love that. And mm -hmm. Outriders gives it to me in spades. They give me mm. a chance to adjust the world tier on the fly if it's too mm. easy, too difficult. Respect that skill tree accordingly. Like you said mm. about those mods, if you get into the mods, there's a whole nother level of game. If you're there to just oh. have your skills and go, you got that. You're good. If you're mm. there because you want to, to take that experience further, you can just adjust it as you like. And yes. I, I can't tell you how cool it was to have that eye or that moment of discovery where i realized that i could mm -hmm. respect this or that with no no big deal the game wasn't going to punish me for it and suddenly Preach. my game experience changed i made a mistake oh. in that skill tree i started up i was playing through i was like mm -hmm. man this i'm not this is not good you know what mm -hmm. give me two seconds went back in switched it again right back in the fight perfect on the go the classes Brother. feel awesome i'm playing as a technomancer as my main oh we technos oh my boy right. we there you go let's go joseph moran what you what you use it as a techno what you what, what, okay. what skills you All like right. i got a tur the turret is my is my like yes. main freeze turret right? i have to let's go because i freeze anybody mm. uh i have yes. uh the mortar to get people out of cover from distance nice as i need to and that one on the right i'm messing around with right now i got the rocket launcher for for the moment okay um, mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I'm debating, do I want to go blighted rounds here and there? Okay. Um, I'm just not sure what I want on that right skill. But like when you said. When you get the fixer wave that heals, you become a healer and can heal your teammates and yourself as well. So I have that. Should I be using that? Bro, for high level, mm -hmm. it is a lifesaver. Shout out to my boy Addict. Shout out to Randall Thor. Alfonso Relly. We were playing a couple of matches. 
and that fixture wave, you be it, it it makes the Technomancer a very valuable teammate with those high level boss encounters. Mm -hmm. And you can basically you can see the energy of your teammates. You can and remember it heals yourself as well. Mm -hmm. You might want to give that a shot too. It, it's real. I've been having fun with that. But continue, continue. You mean are, are you suggesting, sir, that I can go and change that, try that out, and if I don't like it, change it right back just <laughs> as much as I want to? Yes, sir. I will try that out. Gosh, I love this. And that's, like, go back to your point. That's the best yeah. part about it being PvE. Let yes. They can just let you be OP. They can let you do whatever mm -hmm. you want. Have a good old time. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a game that had I paid 60 bucks for, I'd be mm -hmm. just, just happy as can be. I'd have been very pleased yes. with that purchase. The yes. fact that it was in the Game Pass, amazing. I, yes. I have to caveat uh, and say they mm -hmm. did give me a code a day early. Um, Salute. I don't feel like I got a... A, a, any advantage in that <laughs> way. Um, Salute to your hard work. But, nope. I, but I, do have to, I have to like say that. But you know, real talk, this is a game anybody with Game Pass should be checking out. And uh, yes. I, I'm just thrilled for People Can Fly. Like, real talk. People yeah, Can Fly made a good Gears mm -hmm. game that, for, mm -hmm. for some reasons, just didn't catch on. But, you know, it was it was the odd one out. Yeah. Bulletstorm didn't do it for me. But cool, I mm -hmm. like that you tried some stuff. Uh, I'm yes. just so happy to see that they are they're raising their own stock here. I'm happy to yes. see that Square Enix, who published Avengers, is going to get some lessons learned uh, yes. in, in how to, to roll out a game and that not every game needs to be a, a live service. And I think this is going to be great for those live service games. I mean, Game Pass was tailor-made for live service. Destiny Preach. is perfect in there. But man, oh man, Outriders is perfect Bro. for Game Pass. Most games played right now, mm -hmm. let's look. I believe when I look at yeah, number three, it is competing with Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, the Warzone joint, Fortnite, and Grand Theft. It is already the third most played game. And get this, you, this is going to blow your mind. The top paid game on Xbox. That's That's nuts. insane. That's that nuts. is insane. Shout out to the team. You know, the only thing I gotta be fair though, and only negative I will say, mm -hmm. great success, fun game. Yeah. Servers. Servers. We gotta we got we gotta get this straightened out. Mm -hmm. I have way too many crashes, way too many drops, mm -hmm. you know, certain times. And look, I'm a looter shooter vet. I know the first two weeks are usually the roughest. I'm willing to give them a pass. I do like the communication on Twitter and social media. They seem to be very responsive. The only nitpick, because I gotta be fair, I gotta be fair, is that I don't feel that they should be worrying about sandbox changes and making adjustments in the meta when the game got some issues technically that need to be fixed, especially this inventory wipe thing that I'm hearing. It's pretty scary that some people are losing entire inventories with this weird bug. Yeah. So again, growing pains, new IP, I'm willing to give them a pass. I just want to see as things go on, do they address it and the focus is on the technical issue? Now, I believe the Xbox patch went out today mm -hmm. for crossplay, so now all the systems uh, can, can crossplay. I'm gonna try it with Ebontis, and hopefully some people, um, from my boy over um, Agitated Soul from uh, Season Gaming, mm -hmm. we're gonna do it on a PS5, and we'll use the voice over IP option. I wanna see, because last time, PC seemed to be the issue. Console, PlayStation 5, with Xbox was working. Series X seemed to work fine. Mm -hmm. But when uh, slow-mo was on PC, he kept dropping as soon as the fights, the engagement started. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to test that out. But overall, fantastic start. New IP, in-game pass. Can't believe I'm having so much fun. So much fun that it, in, on my, my uh, Looter Shooter show with uh, Ivantis, uh, the last word, 
we really talk more about Outriders than Destiny the entire time. That's how much we fun we've been having with Outriders. Yeah, man. and and you, you dropped your criticisms. So let me throw mine in there. I'll agree with you Let's wholeheartedly go. on that server uh, front. Uh, oh. in both respects. One, you get a pass when you're trying to launch something like this to a point. Uh, yes. Moreover, you get a pass when you're cross-playing with PlayStation 4, PlayStation Correct. 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series set of devices, PC. That's a lot of talking mm-hmm. to devices you got to do. Um, mm-hmm. That said, you got to work it out because you promised it as a feature. Okay. Preach. Appreciate the demo. Love the, love mm-hmm. the stuff I'm getting. Got to work out some of those those kinks in there. Um, not yes, a big sir. fan of the map system and, and like getting side yeah. quests. Really struggling Preach. with that. Really struggling. I don't like the map at all. Um, I agree. I forgot about that. Yes. If, if there's a way to somehow streamline side quests, uh, turning them in, mm-hmm. collecting them, what have you, I need a way to, to move around because you got to. You got to move your trucks to get the hub for that part uh, of the world. It's it's a, annoying. An, an, it's annoying. It is annoying. Mm-hmm. The gameplay is so good that I forgive it, but yes. uh, it, it is a bit annoying there. So I think we need to work mm-hmm. work out a, a few things on that front. Uh, now tell me this: transmog is transmog yes. in there? I don't think so. I don't I think it I mean, is because either. I asked Ebontis a question. Cause he, that's my connoisseur. He's he's the ambassador. I tease him. I'm like he's in the board meetings where people can fly. Cause he he's he's really an ambassador for the game. But he he does such a great job. Love that's my guy. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, and I think the answer is no because I was able to get an ex. Uh, I guess they don't call it exotic. Whatever the gold item is, Legendary, the most highest I value. Think. Yeah. Okay. I, I I'm so used to using exotic from Destiny yeah, terminology. Yeah, yeah, so with yeah. them. I call it exotic, even though it's not called exotic in Outriders. But anyway, I got this helmet, tremendous homage, gives me a lot of uh, survivability. It almost looks like an old Russian helmet mm-hmm. with flaps on the side. It's funny. So I like it. I just don't like aesthetically how it looks. It's like this green helmet that, I mean, you know, head thing, and it just doesn't match with anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't look cool with it, but I love it. So I'm like, yo, can I change it? And yeah, he's like, nah, you kind of stuck with it. He said, you could kind of level it up mm-hmm. and, you know, keep it going with you for to a, to a certain extent. But as far as transmog, no. You know what I'm saying? They don't have that. And, and they, there's other one, another little nitpick. I would love for them to have, I think they don't have cross-save either. That's another thing. No, we'll, is that we'll, true? We'll that. Oh, wow. I guess I haven't yeah, thought about I, that. I, All right. Because uh, shout out to Paul Tassi. Um, he left his characters on, because the fact that it was Outriders in Game Pass, mm-hmm. and he was having a lot of trouble with um, other issues with smart delivery and stuff like that, as well on the PlayStation Five. He then, you know, said, "Look, it's a no-brainer. I'm just going to start over, and I'll go next uh, uh, Game Pass." So he had, yeah, he could not bring his um, transfer his his information, and I'm pretty sure that's the case. That there is no cross, it is cross play, mm-hmm. but I believe there's no cross save. Interesting, interesting. My hope is that by summertime, late summer, August, a lot of this mm-hmm. is worked out. A lot of these yes. things are cleaned up. Uh, some might argue that you know the window would have passed on a game like this. Fine, mm-hmm. maybe, but I, I think this is a good one for anybody to yeah. be able to pick up and play. You can do it solo. You can do it multiplayer. I was down on the solo for a bit. Uh, I'm feeling more mm-hmm. comfortable with it. But bottom line, Outriders is a is a win for me uh, overall. Would yes. you say the same? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When, when you know it's a win when the game is so damn fun, you don't care about anything else that's going on with it, and you're willing to wait. You're willing to deal with it while they work out. That's how fun this game is. And the last point to your listeners, if they're struggling, like you said initially with solo play and stuff like that, you know, link it with a couple of friends. If if you're still forced to play solo, don't give up on it until you about get about level 
10 to 15 as you unlock more skills because mm-hmm. you see the game really start. I actually gave up on the Pyromancer class at the demo, didn't even scratch the surface of it, and now I'm seeing the intricacies the level, as I get more powers and then you start to play around with the synergies. So that would be my advice to anyone who's on the fence or struggling with it. Play with, you got to try playing with friends because it's really fun with that. But if you don't, stick with it until you get to about level 10 to 15, you get those skills out. And man, that game really opens up. Nice. All right, Lord Cog, let's take a break again. We'll get to some listener questions, my man. All right. Uh, Lord Cog, we've got you here for a couple questions. Then we're going to wrap up and kick over to the Scott Brody interview. This first one, uh, specifically for you from Elemento Pio, he wants to know about this Five Heartbeats uh, movie and why it resonates so much. There's got to be a quick story here. Oh, shout out to Elemental Pio, man. It's a classic movie. It's it's a funy song. <laughs> he listen, man. If he wants to call the Iron Lords the Five Harvey, it, it is an honor. The song goes nights like this. <laughs> so basically, like a super group, so to speak. Gotcha. And, uh, listen, man. Salute to Elemental. Good guy, funny humor, and look, man. If we get any success comparable to the heartbeats. <laughs> I will take it as an Iron Lord. So salute to my man, Elemental Pio. Yeah, he's great, man. He's always writing in, supporting different shows. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. On a more serious front, my boy Todd Oxtra writes in, uh, Todd wants to know about storage. He's been playing a lot on his Xbox Series S. He says, uh, now with the updates to Gears 5 and Halo, it's almost all of the internal storage. This is a problem we've seen not just on Xbox, but on PlayStation as well. Uh, there's got to be affordable options coming down the pipe for, for these expandable storage. I mean, uh, there's proprietary stuff for the Xbox, but that's a $200 memory card, dude. Oof. Yeah, I just bit the bullet. Off. Did you really? <laughs> Bro, I was fighting it. I was on the stance of I'm not bending the knee. I'm not doing it. I had a three terabyte mule. I'm going to transfer over. And you know what happened, Luke? Mm. Game Pass mm-hmm. starts being too damn good. And... Now, my cousin has a Series X, and he's a big sports guy, so he's like, I want to play 2K with you, 100 gigs. <laughs> I want to play Madden with you, mm-hmm. 60 gigs. I want to play Gears with you, 100. The next thing you know, my drive, it, it's done. And then here's the thing. like I got a mule. For those who don't want to bend a knee, and I get it, you get your big terabyte, you play what you need on your internal as you need. Mm-hmm. But with me, it, I, because I'm such a live ser- de- destiny damn near 100 gigs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's so many games that I really do switch back and forth that it became harder. And then Game Pass drops a game, and I'm like, damn, I want to try Empire of Sin. Damn, Outer Worlds is back with DLC. Mm-hmm. Damn, like it, it, just, it just snowballs because it's like every week it feels Game Pass is doing something mm-hmm. that forces this download. So... I feel you, hard drive situation is very serious. Again, last, you know, I would just say if you are intent on not spending that $200, and I get it, do, you know, get yourself a Western Digital or Seagate standard mechanical drive, USB 3.0, you know, get the most terabytes you can. I mean, tr- at least tra- download the games and then transfer them over is faster than having to re download them again. So that there's an advantage there. And just do that. But um, I will say, you know, in fairness to Xbox, the price of NVMe hard drives, is it is comparable to what it is in the PC space. So it, we just got to wait for the tech to come down in price, and I don't know how long it's, you know, it's going to be. So 
That is the question, man. That's that the, is the question. So I keep waiting until I hit status where they're like, here you go, Luke. You try this memory card out for us. Let everyone know what you think. That's that's what I'm waiting <laughs> on. I ain't, I ain't there yet. But uh, real talk, I do wonder if xCloud won't be a, a minor solution on a couple fronts for this down the line uh, where you're not having to download all that information and you can stream it and they do a lot of the work on their end. There are right. arguments for that to be made, uh, mm. arguments that xCloud is coming to console sooner than right. later. Uh, I'm very right. curious to know just how much bandwidth or data mm. that would take up for those that do have data mm. caps uh, in certain right. spaces. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole other can of worms, but something to think about. Uh, let's transition mm. to a different question. This one from Dan O. He says, do you think Discord purchase talks will go through in the next few weeks? And if Game Pass mm. gets Ubisoft Plus, do you see it strengthening the PC or console side more? Just imagine Valhalla or Immortals Phoenix Rising for free 99. Now, Cog, free 99, that's how it feels. That's not technically how it is. Some some, some misleading articles yes, sometimes yes. say, you know, Game Pass for free. No, it's cost mm-hmm. of subscription. But yes. uh, does the Discord purchase go through? And when, when uh, if at all, does Game Pass get Ubisoft Plus? Oh, man. I mean, Discord is something I've been championing for a while um i hope so i really do because i know a lot of hardcore gamers like ah, discord what do we care about that Uh, you know and you know this failed and that failed and i say look at the end of the day on the pc platform that is when i was on pc for a lot last generation that is the de facto social platform that is where everyone is on playing games together so they have a huge community right that's number one and then number two you know you got to look at it as, you know, Xbox needs to integrate that hopefully into into their whole vision with cross, you know, play anywhere and, and cross-platform play. So I hope it goes through. I think this would be a huge boon for them in the space, and, and I would love for them to leverage, like, Game Pass Ultimate into that, into their Nitro tier. I think there's some synergy there. As far as the second part of the question with Ubisoft, I'm feeling, I'm hearing rumblings, I'm hearing rumblings, I'm feeling confident, you know, that um, that may happen, you know, I, I again, I'm no insider, I, I just go by little, little tea leaves I, I hear here and there and stuff, but, you know, I think it might happen, it makes sense, I mean, Ubisoft has this tremendous library of games, we know they have live service games, and we know they love their microtransactions. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect marriage, you know. Even if they don't, even if they don't do day and date, and there's no acquisition, right? You know, if they do like an EA kind of similar kind of deal, I could see a scenario where it's like, okay, you know, you may not get, you know, the brand new Ubisoft game day and date, but after a couple of months, you know, it drops in and. I think their games fit perfect. You have Watch Dogs, you got Assassin's Creed. Look, Division could get a tremendous boom from Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Just breathing, like let's say they, they launch a comparable DLC right about that, around that time, and, and the developers did, um, Massive Entertainment did come out and say they're gonna support Division still. So again, you throw that in Game Pass. That's something I could see, like day and day Game Pass with the new DLC, kind of like how Destiny did with Beyond Light. That was a huge boon. I mean, Destiny's still in the top 10 right now, I'm looking as far as top t- uh, games played on Xbox Live. So, oh, excuse me, Xbox Network. <laughs> get but, um, right. Get Every right. Every pops out of the ceiling. <laughs> I, what I, tell I you. that name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So look, I, I, think, it, I think to Dado's question, I think it happens It's as far as strengthening the PC side or console side more. Um, it's all dependent on how they handle it because, 
you know, if they do, what is it? Uh, I believe Outriders was um, console only right now mm-hmm. for uh, Game Pass. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's up to Microsoft how they leverage it and with permission from Ubisoft how they want to leverage it. So, you know, if there's a new IP, you know, maybe Xbox nudges and say, hey, we wanted the Series X to kind of benefit, you know, to, from this uh, release kind of thing. Or, you know, if it's a PC more time. I don't know. That, that That's going to be up to those two. But I do think it gets done. I do think it's a huge boon for Game Pass. And we just got to wait to see if it happens. Uh, good thoughts there. And I would say, Dano, as far as Discord goes, um, I'm thinking you find out about that sooner rather than later uh, on account of the fact that they would like to have that deal done prior to E3 so they can use Dis- Discord as a mechanism to discuss uh, various yes. elements and have boosts, perks, and things ready to go for, for E3 yes. time. I think you find yes. out about Ubisoft Plus somewhere in that, that Summer Game Fest E3 as well. I don't think it's a done deal that it goes to Xbox. It's quite possible that, that Sony's counterpunch, as it were, uh, includes mm-hmm. Ubisoft. We've seen Ubisoft every generation. They will support everybody. They don't take allegiances. Oh, yeah. They've been all yes. over Game Pass. They've been, I'm sorry, uh, games with gold they've been all over playstation plus they will go anywhere mm-hmm. they supported the wii u out the gate so mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it's a given that it's an xbox uh, deal uh, as it were mm-hmm. but i can't imagine a world where they look at 18 million established subscribers and they're like nah not for us yeah. <laughs> good point good point and la- last point i want to say about discord is another thing that people don't realize that where it's so much value it's just the the fact that like when you go to these shows you go we go to z3s you go to paxes or whatever the developer community is really in Discord. Mm-hmm. They have their own Discord and stuff like that. So I agree with you, um, Luke. I think that if they're going to get it done, they want to get it done before E3 mm-hmm. and, and really bolster that that whole community and, and get that as part of the uh, Xbox ecosystem. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Lord Cog, uh, I have had an absolute ball chatting games with you. Uh, before we kick it over to the interview with Scott Brody, uh, let people once again know where they can find you, and I will say just how much I enjoyed this episode with you, man. Likewise, brother, man. Of course, with the Ghost Expansion Past, I am Lord Cognito of the Iron Lords Podcast, at Lord Cognito on Twitter. You could also find my podcast brethren, Lord Sov, Lord King, Lord Addict, on the Iron Lord Podcast on YouTube. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day, 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you also want to check us out more, as well as some great articles and opinion pieces, please check out lordsofgaming.net. Ghost, this is fun, man. I made it to the big time. I'm in the expansion pass. This is a lot of fun, man. I really enjoy myself. Alrighty, we are very fortunate now to welcome Scott Brody of Heart Shape Games here to the podcast to discuss his upcoming game, We Are the Caretakers. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you. Your game was recently spotlighted in the Twitch Gaming ID at Xbox Showcase, is that correct? Yeah, we were fortunate to be a part of that event. I thought it was uh, a pretty cool one, and, and our, our new trailer uh, announcing that the game's coming to Xbox later this year was shown. That is brilliant and exciting. We also know the game is available right now, early access in Steam, so players that are, are PC-based can get their hands on it right now. That's uh, So actually, it'll be uh, April 22nd, yeah, so it should be, uh, I don't know when this is going out, but <laughs> we'll... Uh... It should be there, and we're excited to have people joining us for early access. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, you have a pretty storied and pretty cool career uh, leading up to working on We Are the Caretakers, so let's start with that. Uh, tell me how you got into the gaming industry. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm realizing I'm getting up there, so I've got uh, a, a longer path to tell these days. Um, so uh, I started, I guess, with a couple of internships. Uh, there were a couple local studios. Uh, I'm from Michigan. And uh, I, I got an internship with a company called Outrage Games, and uh, they were making a PlayStation 2 and original Xbox game called Alter Echo. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that or, or played it, but um, I was proud to work on it, um, and it was a great kind of first entry into the industry. Um, eventually, I got an internship uh, with Microsoft Game Studios, and uh, it was a very unique internship where we actually got to make an Xbox Live Arcade game called Aegis Wing. Uh, so I was out in Seattle for a summer and, uh, yeah, myself and two other interns kind of put that together. Uh, I'm not, your reaction makes me uh, think you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listeners, of course, can't see that. But uh, as soon as you said the name, uh, I lit up. I played the heck out of that game uh, back on my old Xbox 360, man. Yeah, it was um, it turned out surprisingly well and it was a really good fit for for Xbox Live. Um, and so we got a lot of people to play the game. It was uh it was a really, it's, it's a project I look back on as just being a, a fun thing to work on, and, and a lot of people seem to, to enjoy it um, for as simple as it was. Um, but that helped me, um, I guess, lead into a full-time gig with Microsoft. So I, I ended up uh, being an Xbox Live Arcade producer and designer in some parts uh, for about four years there. Um, worked on a lot of uh, Xbox Live Arcade titles, insanely uh, Twisted Shadow Planet, um, Snoopy Flying Aces, uh, just, you know, I worked on a, a ton of, uh, games helping independent developers get their games on. And then eventually I just decided it was my time to, uh, to start my own thing. I, I definitely, um, considered myself more of a programmer designer type. Uh, so I was excited to kind of start building my, my own original games. And that's where Heart Shaped, uh, came from. Um, and yeah, what, we can, we can talk about that. What year was that that you uh, shifted away from working on Live Arcade and then and working into Heart Shaped? Yeah, so I started that in 2010, and, and so October uh, of last year was actually 10 years uh, of being in business uh, doing the indie thing. Congratulations. And you guys have made uh, a number of games, and I'm scrolling through uh, the Heart Shaped website as we're speaking right now. Uh, any projects stand out there that have kind of informed you and taken lessons into what you're working on now? Yeah, I mean, I think we started out with smaller teams, but fundamentally the same idea of starting with uh, maybe a, a real-world inspiration in the case of uh, Hero Generations, which is a game uh, about uh, a character who every step they take is a year of their life and aging and, uh, uh, you know, generations and following through with, uh, you know, following heroes through multiple generations of things was kind of inspired uh, by my life at the time and, and uh, being a new parent. Um, so just a, a through line of building sort of fun, uh, but rooted in sort of real world topic uh, strategy games definitely um, has prepared us for We Are the Caretakers, which is definitely based on a, a very interesting uh, real world topic in conservation and anti-poaching. With, with the... the uh 
I don't know if the right word is livestock. That's not, the Ron. Tell me. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Before yeah, I, yeah, before yeah. we move into that, um, I'm looking at the heart shaped team and I was listening to a few other interviews prior to this one. You certainly have a small team that you're, you're made up of. Am I correct in saying it's about eight people that are working on We Are the Caretakers? Yep. Yeah. We've had, uh, we, we've grown quote unquote to, to eight people. Uh, some of the earlier projects were, were closer to two to four people. Mm hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I can talk a little bit about the team. Uh, we were very lucky to partner with, uh, Zalvier Nelson Jr., uh, who has worked on a number of games recently, Hypnospace Outlaw. Um, I want to make sure I say this right. An airport for aliens currently run by dogs. <laughs> you may have heard of. Uh, so he's, he has been the narrative lead on We Are the Caretakers and has largely shaped a lot of the, the world building and obviously the, uh, the story mode. Uh, we also partnered with, um, Anthony Jones, who is the art director. Um, and he has built an incredible world, uh, great character designs, um, there. Um, and then I could go on. We have, uh, Shaveen Uwana. We had, uh, Stephen Whittle and, and so forth. So we've had a, a number of great collaborators and we've been, even before the pandemic, we were a virtual studio, uh, and we kind of continued that, uh, for about, three years that the project's been uh, in development. Three years of being a virtual studio. Some of you are based in Michigan, some in Australia, California, Texas. Uh, that has to present its own challenges and levels of comfort, depending upon the mood and topic. What challenges uh, do you guys think you were uniquely prepared for as other studios around the industry that you may know uh, entered into virtual? Yeah, I I think virtual uh, studios have a lot of advantages. Uh, the main one is that we can, you know, collaborate with people all over the world. So we're not limited to the, the, the talent, uh, you know, that's local to us. So we've been able to build our teams uh, with the right people to match the project and usually the, the best people, you know, we can find across the world. Um, it also just gives us, um, obviously there's a cost savings, right. Of, of, um, of not having offices and so forth, which is, helpful for those smaller projects. Um, but really it is a, just a, um, a mindset of like letting people focus on the work and not worrying about having to fight traffic to get into the office and, um, you know, all those things. It's, it really is a flexibility that I think, uh, benefits a studio that, um, is trying to do original things and might need specialized, um, processes or people to get things done. So I think ultimately that's the advantage of that. Um, there are definitely disadvantages. I was, I was bummed that GDC, uh, the, you know, the main game development conference in our industry was canceled this year because usually we try to get, you know, the team to at least meet each other in person at that point. So I've actually worked with people on this project that I haven't met in person, which is, um, uh, frustrating at times. But, uh, beyond that, um, you know, I think it's been a great way to, um, make the kind of games we want to make. Does GDC, really mean a lot to smaller studios like yourself? Is that a hugely important thing for you guys? Yeah, I think for, for me personally, just because it's a, it's a great connection point, not just with our own team, but with the, the wider industry and to be able to, um, you know, make, you know, thankfully we're able to make a connection with uh, the Xbox and the idea Xbox team, but um, it's definitely a great place to meet those partners and, and talk about, you know, the best ways to maximize the platform and, you know, how to, how to get our games, you know, the most spotlight they can get. So I definitely think there's a lot of uh, benefits to that conference and just having those touch points throughout the year. Gotcha. 
Cool. And one final question about the team. I noticed there's another member of the team with the last name Brody. Family member, wife, sister, friend, just coincidental? Nope. That's my uh, that's my lovely uh, wife, uh, Kate. Gotcha. <laughs> and our studio, our studio manager. Gotcha. Very neat. Very neat. That has to present uh, a lot of really fun opportunities to, to get to collaborate and work with uh, your spouse on a project like this. There's, there's probably a lot of pride in that. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, it's there, there's lots of benefits and challenges to that. And we've been able to make it work. Um, she's been incredibly supportive, uh, finds ways to uh, build the business that I wouldn't be thinking about. And um, yeah, it's, it's been great to sort of, uh, you know, create a family business, you know, mm-hmm. in a, in a way with, uh, with heart shaped games. That's wonderful. Those are the feel good stories that I always enjoy, you know, finding stuff like that. But let's move into We Are the Caretakers proper, the game you've been working on for how many years at this point? Yeah, so we're coming up. Uh, I, I always get it mixed up because there was a, a good year of like pre-production before we formally got started. But yeah, I, I think the, the number is getting very, very close to three years. And you are, you have, you mentioned previously, uh, ideas of conservation and, and plenty of other, I would say, lessons that can be learned despite playing what looks to be uh, a sci-fi turn-based real-time strategy game, which is a lot to say uh, in yeah. one sentence. How about giving me the elevator pitch and we'll go from there? Absolutely. So we've been describing We Are the Caretakers as a Afrofuturist uh, sci-fi squad management RPG where you are running uh, a sort of rogue organization called the Caretakers trying to protect the endangered wildlife and your planet from poachers. And eventually you find out an alien uh, arrival. Uh, the game itself uh, plays out on a couple different gameplay layers that we can talk about, but you're fundamentally managing an ensemble cast of characters uh, with different traits, personalities, character classes, um, abilities, and then forming them into squads of six. And you can have multiple squads that you deploy onto a field uh, where you're doing a number of activities, obviously protecting the animals, searching for clues to where poachers might be, interacting with towns. Um, And then once you confront uh, a poacher unit with one of yours, it goes into actually a turn-based RPG combat system. So it's uh, a complex topic with uh, a lot of moving parts, but ultimately what we were trying to create was a uh, feeling and experience of managing a conservation effort in this very exciting sci-fi way. What We'll get to gameplay momentarily, but what motivated you to discuss and, and center your game around the theme of conservation? So it, we actually, uh, one of our collaborators, uh, James Pita, um, had a connection where he actually did, I guess, AI research uh, with um, one of the major conservation charities. And uh, through that connection, we just kind of discussed, like, hey, is there a way to make a game, uh, you know, about this topic that wasn't just your uh, you know, typical educational, you know, experience. Could we make a commercial, um, exciting sci-fi thing that could explore this topic? And so, um, yeah, we, we were able to, um, uh, talk with rangers in the field, uh, and eventually do some research with them to kind of understand kind of the dynamics at play. And we kind of built, uh, or found, I guess, what the sort of strategies and the gameplay systems that could come from that. So we kind of started from that research point and then just, uh, bringing Anthony in with his 
concept work uh, and Zalvir with world building, we kind of just settled on, um, you know, this uh, unique path with uh, sort of Afrofuturist inspired world um, that could map really well to that experience and the people doing the work. Gotcha. That's a, a brilliant sentiment and a, and a lesson I think that uh, needs more telling and more speaking about. And so I, I love that. Now, as I'm watching gameplay on my second screen here, I'm watching you play through uh, on a recent uh, Steam Q and A, and initially it looks like it's a an isometric top down type game before, and you're moving around the units that you talked about building in different squads. I suppose is the is the proper term, mm-hmm. uh, and then as you move into those turn based strategies, you're, you're You've got a lot of layers of systems there that, uh, to somebody like me in a very amateur state, I might find uh, a bit intimidating there. Tell me a bit about how you're uh, acclimating the player early on in the game to handle a lot of these systems, and then let's let's go into some of those systems. Yeah, so we view the story campaign as our teaching tool, and so we do try our best to ramp players in, uh, you know, and, and have built uh, an onboarding experience that hopefully can get people there. So you start out with a single squad and you are investigating this inciting incident where Iran has been poached and there's this orphan Ron there and you're kind of just trying to figure out what's going on and what to do. And through that, we kind of teach you the basics of the gameplay. Um, while it could be intimidating, um, I think the, the the metaphor or like the 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 overall idea is kind of clear that you kind of early on once you get the controls understand what you're trying to achieve and so hopefully all the systems kind of make sense how they fit together the other mm-hmm. thing that is a key part of the game is uh it's an rts view in the field but it's rts with pause so you can pause at any time uh inspect the field make this you know decisions on where your units are going to move while the game is paused. So it's much more a strategic thinking game versus a Twitch experience. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, uh, you know, players uh, are onboarded well and are able to uh, kind of grok the systems. If you had to give listeners a comparative note uh, to other games in the industry that are, are similar, perhaps not the same, but but similar, uh, what might you suggest are, are inspirations or games that are just comparable? Yeah, there's an inspiration of a, a much older game called Ogre Battle, uh, which was a Super Nintendo experience. So not many people have that reference point, but that's ultimately kind of like the thing that's helped us being rooted as a development team. So unless you know that, I'll give you a couple other uh, references. Uh, the most modern one that I think is relevant is Darkest Dungeon in terms of structure, mm-hmm. where you've okay. got all these characters. Uh, you know, when you come back from a mission, you're in your your headquarters and then you're able to, you know, upgrade your characters across job classes. You can, again, sort them into different squads um, and recruit new characters, that sort of thing. And then you're choosing your missions to go into. So structurally, I think it's very similar to Darkest Dungeon. Uh, thematically, I think it's close to XCOM, where you're sort of uh, presented with this looming alien mystery and these poachers, and you're just sort of choosing the best places to... Uh, investigate uh, and s- to send your squads effectively to kind of deal with this overall threat. Um, so I think those are all the kind of reference points that we have. And then obviously I think combat is closer to your typical um, maybe JRPG turn-based, uh, turn-based combat where your, your characters have units and you're choosing what to do with them. 
Gotcha. Some brilliant uh, designs and mapping and really unique art styles uh, as I'm watching you currently, again, on second screen, uh, Mm -hmm. move units around that battlefield and then enter into different combat states. Uh, When a player arrives to a combat state, uh, what's the first thing that they are are looking to do? Uh, Are there buffs, different abilities, different aspects of combat uh, that they should be aware of and that you're trying to build into the game? Yeah, we... Again, thinking how could we do something unique with combat that people would understand, but would also map to how rangers approach a conflict in the field. And the biggest difference for us is it's more about de-escalation versus trying to just, you know, uh, defeat everyone and and kind of move on through the landscape. So uh, you have you're, you're effectively trying to wear down the enemy units uh, either on their stamina or on their will, their mental will stat. Uh, and so you can effectively use abilities that the characters have to drain those stats. And once they get to zero, you use a what we call a finishing move, but they're effectively a way, like, how are you going to resolve this? Mm-hmm. And you have choices between more aggressive finishers and more diplomatic ones, where you say, you could maybe detain them and then bring them back to your HQ and figure out what to do with them later. Um, so it's kind of this unique thing where fundamentally it feels like a, a turn-based RPG where you're using abilities and trying to defeat them, but you're also at the same time balancing these larger concerns of like, we don't want to come off as too aggressive as an organization because then maybe these uh, community members or poachers won't be as cooperative with us to solve the the overall goal of stopping these uh, poaching events. That's a lot of, I suppose a lot of uh, emotional drive to, because you are trying to save the Ron and stop an entity versus being a military organization trying to defeat your opponents. Uh, I heard at one point you discussing some of the characters having like a negotiation style tactic to reduce will. Um, is that a mechanic that you're trying to emphasize for players to take advantage of versus simply just defeating or ending a battle? Yeah, I think we emphasize it in the sense that we want players to explore that. But we we did have a choice early on in development where um, we thought, you know, well, should we allow the player to be more aggressive or more violent or however you want to describe it? And we ultimately landed on, like, let's let the player make the choice and then experience the consequences of that. So we have a lot of systems that effectively create consequences for those actions. So you can take a very aggressive approach. You could pro- you can take a pacifist approach and go completely uh, diplomatic. And there are consequences on both ends of that. The main thing we do to uh, create those consequences is a reputation system. So every action you take uh, affects your reputation. And that reputation value will ultimately affect your ending up to the game, but also the characters that you can recruit, um, how aggressive or how difficult the future um poaching squads might be and, and the cooper the cooperation of the towns in the game and so forth so everything is kind of balanced there so you you can be aggressive in the game but you'll you'll see the the world kind of react to that interesting that that ripple effect of your decisions kind of thing yeah you have lots of squads that you're balancing at different points uh Does that feel overwhelming at different times, or are you working to balance each group, or do you have certain squads uh, throughout the campaign that you want to be more and less aggressive accordingly, or is it simply a matter of just uh, choosing the way you want to play uh, as you go through that campaign? We definitely want there to be a lot of choice. Um, In terms of being overwhelming, um, so one of the things we have in the game is – 
a uh, a technology tree. So you actually um, you start with three squads, but you can unlock more as you go. So eventually you'll have you know up to nine squads if you if you unlock all of those additional slots. But again, we try to ramp players into uh, you know having the experience of managing them and then slowly growing that. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully we've managed that. But we do want the experience to be more about uh, again not not Twitch and more of like, okay, where do I want to allocate my resources? Where do I want to send my people? What's the best use of that? And taking into account that um, we don't want poachers to get by us. So if we commit a squad to go explore the far ranges, um, that's a choice you can make, but then you are uh, potentially giving an opening to the poachers to get to the animals or, or do things that, that will cause you trouble. So it is really more about that experience. And I, I don't think there'll be a lot of, uh, at least as as you play through the story campaign, a lot of overwhelming moments. Uh, talk to me about fail states then. Uh, missions that you are not successful in, do you lose your squads? Uh, is the fail state when the Ron and these animals that you're trying to protect uh, pass away or are injured? Talk to me about fail states. Yeah, so the, the, the metagame of the campaign is that you have – uh, effectively a Ron counter. We call it Ron power. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like the, the, the animals actually power your society. So when an animal is poached, it affects your Ron power. And if that reaches zero, um, you fail the campaign. So you, mm-hmm. you have to ultimately in a mission protect as many of the animals as you can so that you can continue. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess the, uh, the failure state of a mission can happen if all of the Ron in that mission are poached. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also other missions that don't uh, rely entirely on the animals where you have to defeat a boss or you need to complete a mission in a certain amount of day, uh, game days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of ways to fail uh, missions, but the, in those cases, the campaign will still continue. You will just have you know, less resources or, or missed opportunities in that case. I see. Gotcha. Well, I'm thinking a lot about this. We've talked a lot about campaign, campaign, campaign. That would suggest yeah. there's another mode, as it were. Is that true? Yes. So we have a survive, what we call the survival mode, which is effectively a randomized or generated campaign. Um, it's it's a shortened campaign, though. So it's four longer missions that are about uh, protecting larger kind of herds of, of Ron. And then... Uh, between missions, you have accelerated um, resources curves, so you can get to higher classes faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be able to progress through the technology tree faster and so forth, but it's a little bit more difficult. So I, I, I suppose you could describe it as more of like a roguelike type mode, more of a, uh, again, more systems-driven versus narrative-driven mode. I would never ask you to choose your favorite of the two, but instead I will ask, uh, do you have a, a preference that players start into uh, regularly? Yeah, I mean, I think we want players to start with the story mode and then uh, continue to explore the the survival mode. And we've built it that way uh, and why we think it will be a fit for early access and that you can get the sense of the story mode. We will be adding to that to add variety so that that is replayable as well. But fundamentally, we think players will end up spending most of their time in the survival mode. And we hope through early access and then leading to the Xbox release uh, to fill out the amount of content, you know, new enemies, uh, uh, new challenges, new mission types uh, to continue to add to the to the replayability interest of that. 
I'm thrilled, and you, you've been selling me on this game the entire time, <laughs> which is kind of a neat treat for me as, as somebody who, who would be very new to it. Uh, let's talk, I suppose business is the right word in a sense, but yeah. uh, I'm looking through at your Steam page right now. It can be wishlisted. It, uh, it becomes available in early access on April 22nd, Earth Day, and future releases on Xbox. Uh, you've also got some conservation uh, finances being donated from purchases of the game to save rhinos. Is that correct? Yeah. So talking about that kind of initial inspiration for the game, uh, not only did we want to build a game, um, you know, about the topic, we wanted to find a way to to give back to it. So we hope that through players playing the game, they will gain awareness of the topic and want to learn more and be invested in, in helping save the environment and, and rhinos specifically. Uh, but yeah, so we, we, we have formed a partnership to give 10% of our uh, game sales to the uh, WCN, the Wildlife Conservation Network. Uh, and they have a specific program actually called the Rhino Recovery Fund, which uh, over early access, we'll actually be um, sharing videos of people in the field and things of, of, of the work that they do. Um, but, yeah, our, our goal was to uh, give back monetarily uh, to try to help support that. So so anyone who who joins us for early access and, and 1.0 will will be doing that. That's brilliant, really. And fitting that it would arrive on, on Earth Day for Steam users as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that just happened to work out. But, uh, yeah, we we. Hopefully that will help people remember and give people a reason to check it out. Well, we have lots of listeners to the Xbox Expansion Pass that, of course, play on PC, play on Steam, uh, but you all were featured in the ID at Xbox Showcase and the Xbox audience, or console audience, I should say, as mm-hmm. Xbox has now <laughs> spread its wings. Right. Uh, it, it will be available to them. Talk to me about how you linked up with ID at Xbox and what you guys are hoping to do as far as a release uh, onto consoles. Yeah, I'm really excited to um, to have a console version. And obviously, you know, my, the history we talked about with Microsoft, it's a little bit of a homecoming for me in, in a lot of ways. So I really uh, am excited to have that version. Um, the ID at Xbox team, um, you know, honestly um, reached out to us and, and said, you know, we really think you have a unique game and we'd, we'd like to have it on our console. Um, and so it really started from there is just uh you know, having fit in a bit of a, you know, a console champion that's it's interest, interested in us. So uh, we're really excited to be working with them to make the best version possible. Um, in terms of what players can expect, um, it'll be very similar to the PC game, although obviously the um, controller um, support was really key for us and how that we could make this sort of like RTS field version work on a console. And we think we have a really cool solution. Um, I won't get kind of too into the weeds about it, but the, the core of it is that you control the camera and you, the, the center of your camera is sort of the, how you can select and interact with the environment. Uh, and it's working out really well. Um, we're really actually pretty pleased with that. And any any concerns people might have with past RTS on console implementations, uh, in a lot of ways, is solved with that pause component. So you can kind of take your time and, and um, you know, set things up the way you want to and not be too concerned about, you know, having to uh, be too uh, fine with the, with the controls. I'm thinking about Halo Wars. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and maneuvering that way because I, I adore that game. Um, yeah. Is that a fair approximation to what you're going for in terms of control scheme? Yeah, a little bit. Actually, the the, the reference point that we have is um, a game called Northguard. I'm not sure if you've heard of that game, but um, they're, they did a really um, great job with, with their implementation. So I would lean on that more than anything. But I think the I have played Halo Wars, and uh, the thing that I think – 
uh, where we differ is that we have less of a building construction uh, component. Uh, and so we, I guess we, from a design standpoint, we avoid a lot of the challenges you have with placement of buildings and things like that. Uh, and it's more about unit manipulation, uh, being able to inspect the environment and so forth. Are you looking, do you have a date in mind for the ID at Xbox release or I should say the console release if that's the case? Do you have a date in mind? Is there one set in stone? Is it a bit fluid at this point? Because you are going to early access on Steam. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we, so I can say a general range, uh, is, you know, later this year, whether that's summer or fall. But obviously with early access, we want to, um, take as much time as we need to get the game right. So, um, we want to leave, we, we have not committed to a date yet because we want to leave flexibility to be able to stay in early access longer if, if, uh, the community is digging it. I'm often asked when I speak to developers, I'm often asked by listeners to ask them to elaborate a little bit on the, the arrival into the ID at Xbox program where one approaches the other. You mentioned mm-hmm. that they came to you. Uh, how simple is that process? And feel free to dodge out as you need to. Of course, I recognize there are certain things you don't want to talk about. Um, but how easy is it to uh, form that relationship, bring the game to it uh, without necessarily locking down dates or whatnot? Um, there's a lot of aspects to it, and I'm, I'm elaborating on my question too much perhaps, but they have so many avenues for players to access the game now. Yes, you go into the Xbox ecosystem, but there's xCloud, there's PC, there's console, there's Game Pass, there's uh, Live Gold. There's a lot of elements to balance there. Can you talk any, or mention anything about the process of entering there? Yeah, I, I mean, fundamentally, even even if they hadn't come to us, I mean, you, you can submit your game through their, their usual channels and they're fairly responsive and they have teams set up to to help you with the technical sides of it. Um, we haven't felt much pressure, honestly, to uh, to like be required to support certain parts of it. So I think really what they want is great games and to have it in the way that, uh, you know, makes the most use of the platform, but also what makes sense for the developer. They don't want to overextend you um, to, um, you know, do things that maybe you're not capable of. So they're, I think they're really just focused on the content, which is great. And, um, you know, since I, you know, I, I mentioned when we were on Xbox Live Arcade, it was, you know, a little bit more challenging, uh, or at least there was, there was a curation process, right, where not everyone could could be on the platform. And I think the one thing that the idea at Xbox has um, done really well is to make a console version accessible. And I think they have some other programs that uh, they may want to talk about in the future that they're doing to kind of more directly support uh, developers as well. So overall, it's been a great experience. Um, I, I guess if there's a specific thing that you want to uh, to know, I can go deeper. But fundamentally, it's been great working with them. And I think they've uh, really left it up to us to how we want to implement the game. When you're trying to get your game out to so many people, are you looking at services like Xbox Game Pass? Is that something that suits you? That's the com- that, that is the question I am forced to ask to every developer now because <laughs> it seems like uh, every episode of, of XCP, Game Pass is coming up. Is that something you guys are looking looking at at all? Um, and, and again, if there's something you don't want to say there, please feel free to not. No, no, that's okay. I mean – uh, personally, I would love to be on Game Pass. At current, we are not uh, slated to be on that. Uh, but if your audience wants to to uh, to let the ID at Xbox team know uh, that that would be something they'd want, um, you know, we'd we'd love to look into that. But um, yeah, Game Pass is kind of up in the air currently for for our game, and right now we're just committed to bringing the game for for sale. 
Lovely. Fantastic. Scott Brody, creative director of We Are the Caretakers over at Heart Sh- Heart Shaped Games. Uh, I appreciate your time. Do you have any closing thoughts? Do you want to point people in a certain direction to find content for you guys? And how can they support the game? Yeah, obviously, like you've talked about, um, they can support the game by wishlisting and, and, and getting in on early access, but also um, just following us on uh, our social media, so at Heart Shaped Game or myself personally at Brody Games, uh, and you'll be able to get all the updates on the uh, Xbox version of the game. And I guess I should mention um, our uh, official Discord for the game. Uh, uh, you can just go to our, our website, uh, wearethecaretakers.com, and, and join that. Uh, we would love your feedback and love you to join our community as we continue developing the game.